Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 30. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Occasionally we hear about things that would have been great Drabblecast stories. The problem is, they're for real. We call this Drabble News. Check this. Brought to our attention by listener Andrea Smith from thesun.co.uk. Meet the world's first sheep hog, a pig with its own fleece. Scientists are baffled by the strange swine, which they say is a pig at heart, but with a woolly hide. The one-year-old pig is being raised on a ranch near the town of Esquina, 400 miles north of Buenos Aires. It's a pig, but it has a thick fleece which needs to be sheared in the summertime with the other sheep because it suffers from the heat. The other pigs do not trust it. The article doesn't say much about this thing's origin, whether it was a freak of nature or just, you know, another monstrosity that's escaped from the labs of Argentina's leading Camara research program. You can see a picture of this weird-ass-looking thing on the Drabblecast Facebook group. Go to facebook.com and do a search for Drabblecast. The part that made me laugh when I read this article was the mentioning that the other pigs don't trust it. I wonder why the sheep pig has been deemed untrustworthy by the others. And how can they even tell it's an issue of trust? Maybe the other pigs are just jealous or something. Or maybe it's not related to the fleece at all. Maybe the sheep pig overstated profits and hid his losses and then left hundreds of pig investors and employees without 401k plans and worthless stock shares when his Fortune 500 company busted open. Or maybe the fleece pig doesn't even want to be trusted. Maybe he's been hurt before, and now he has to learn to trust himself before he can let others in. There's a lot of things that could be going on here. But one thing's for sure, it's hard being a mutant in today's scene. Of course, you have your Darwinian duty to pass on your badass genes, but it's hard to get any action when you look like you're part sheep. That's actually a universal truth that extends beyond the borders of all species. It's also a great segue into today's story, 2084, by Tom Williams. Editors, like us, in various stages of madness, have chosen Tom Williams' work for publication. For evidence of this insanity and more info on Tom, check out his website at www.geocities.com forward slash writer Tom Williams. We'll have that on the website. Without further ado, 2084, by Tom Williams. At exactly 8 a.m., John Winston was awakened by a subtle increase in his apartment's ambient lighting. 
Fresh, sterile air was pumped into the self-contained environment, and his bed gently undulated, stimulating his circulation. Stretching and yawning, Winston hopped out of bed, stepping down onto soft, hypoallergenic carpet, a material that the house robot regularly scoured of dust mites and any microbes that might have somehow found their way into his apartment. A curtain, soothing pastel pink in color, covering a section of the apartment wall, slid aside and revealed a view screen that flickered into life. It was time for morning exercise. An unceasingly smiling instructor took Winston through a workout designed for a man of his age and general condition. 10 minutes of slow warm-up, 30 minutes of controlled isometric exercises that worked his heart rate smoothly up to and then down from its maximum recommended 200 beats per minute. Finally, a gradual 10-minute warm-down. Sighing with contentment, an invigorated Winston spent exactly five minutes in the shower, bathing in alternate bursts of mild sterilizing fluid and pure water, after which he was dried by a minute-long draft of warm air. From a hitherto concealed compartment in the bathroom wall, his clothes for the day emerged, having been thoroughly cleaned and pressed by the laundry facilities hidden within the wall. Winston sniffed appreciatively at the subtle scent, lemon, that clung to his perfect-fitting suit and smiled at the slight, just-right-for-him warmth it yet retained. He sat down at the dining table, which adjoined the wall in the main room of his apartment. A rectangular slot opened in the wall, and, supported by a robot arm, a tray of breakfast emerged and was deposited in front of him. He ate and drank what had been given, a precisely calculated amount of nutrients in the form of 100 grams of gelatinous light brown cube, cocoa-flavored today, and 250 milliliters of translucent liquid, raspberry. When he had finished both, the robot arm quickly retrieved the breakfast tray and accompanying soiled dishes for immediate sanitation. After cleaning his teeth with an anti-plaque and antibacterial mouthwash, Winston sat down in his office chair and donned a net VR rig. He quickly hooked himself up to his office in cyberspace and met up with his work colleague, Rick Julian, whom he had never met in the flesh. It was still five minutes before 9 a.m. when both men were due to start work for the day, so they took the opportunity to talk about their plans for the night. Dude, what are you doing tonight? asked Julian with a sly smirk on his face. He knew that Winston was prone to doing the most outrageous things. Winston smiled in return. <laughs> you know me, Rick? Nothing too risky. Julian guffawed. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you're a cautious sort of man, ain't ya? He sobered. So tell me, brah, what's on the itinerary of insanity for tonight? Well, said Winston, pretending to think. Come on, brah, Julian laughed. I know you already got something on your mind, man. Winston relented. He knew how his exploits titillated Julian almost beyond reason. Uh, tonight, he said, pausing dramatically. Yeah? What? asked Julian eagerly. Tonight, hmm, continued Winston. Man, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna order an apple for dinner. Julian frowned. What? 
come on, man. Some of that synth they use in homemade meals. Nah, man. A real apple. The kind that grows on trees. Julian started. Dude. Nah, man, you can't. You don't know what sorts of things you can catch from naturally grown organisms. Especially, dude, anything you were to ingest? All kinds of microorganisms and God knows what else. Nevertheless, Richard, my man, I am gonna eat an apple for dinner. Winston grinned. <laughs> but don't worry, man. I'm not totally crazy. It'll be hydroponically grown and come from a properly sealed and sterile greenhouse, of course. Still, brah, said Julian, shaking his head doubtfully. Man, it's an incredibly risky adventure. God, man, to eat something that actually grew on a plant? Dude. Shivering a little, he regarded his colleague with a strange mixture of admonition and admiration. Dude, you are a thrill seeker, John Winston. Winston smiled. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I can be a little audacious every now and then, huh? At 5 p.m., Winston said goodbye to Julian and signed out from his office. Already trembling with excitement, he went to the online rare foods company and after taking a deep breath, charged an apple to his credit account. Disengaging his VR gear, he sat for a moment in his office chair, rubbing his sweaty palms together. Soon, he would have a real apple in his hands, and then... Whew, it didn't take long. There was a beep from the direction of his dining table, and a light on the food dispenser was blinking. It was here. Winston took a seat at his dining table. He licked his lips in anticipation as the slot in the wall opened, and out slid a tray upon which, wrapped in sterile, vacuum-sealed plastic, rested a small, yellow-streaked red sphere. The apple. Hands shaking, he opened the plastic seal and studied his intended meal. It felt silky smooth beneath his fingers, and a thrill ran through him, even at touching such a thing with its potential for accommodating contaminants. Experimentally, Winston opened his mouth and propelled the apple towards it. He tried to imagine biting into it, feeling the raw juices, unprocessed and barely sanitized, flooding into his mouth. He felt sudden, overpowering nausea overcome him. How could he do it? How could he contemplate eating such a dangerous thing? Winston violently thrust the apple away from him. It rolled across the table and onto the floor. Barely holding his gorge, he ran from the table and into the bathroom, where he vomited convulsively into the basin for several seconds. He washed his hands once, twice, three times in antibacterial soap, then swallowed down antiemetic and tranquilizing pills in quick order. At last... Calmer, if not completely relaxed, he looked at himself in the mirror. He quailed at the pale, grim face that stared back at him. <laughs> Man, that was stupid, John Winston, he told himself, snorting a short, humorless laugh. Better leave that sort of thing for the people who get their kicks by going outside. Meanwhile, a sanitation robot had swept up the apple and dropped it in the disposal chute, before thoroughly sterilizing the whole dining room table and much of the area around it.
was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. This story got me thinking about what our culture might consider shocking down the road. What are contestants going to have to eat to win Fear Factor 50 years from now? I think at the rate we're going now, cannibalism contests are only about 15 years away. So it makes sense that at some point we're going to have to start from scratch again with the shock value stuff. Johnny Knoxville's grandkids are going to be making extreme movies about petting rabbits and making snowmen. Just you wait and see, bruh. Alright, well, feedback from a few weeks ago, Once Upon a Hill in This City, by Lita Broadhurst. Good positive feedback from people about this story, as well as William Tucker's Mr. 505 of the Spheres. Marhu8 said, Nice change of pace for this podcast. Kevin Anderson said, Nice. I like stories about flowers. The poem kind of hurt my head, but in a good way. And Lost in WNC said, This is kind of like an audio Twilight Zone. I like the fact that it includes several different types of genres, although the fact that it focuses on the strange and the fact that I like it, well, it makes me introspective. I'm glad that people are commenting about the stories. I'm hoping we can expand with the forum section soon so we can flesh out discussion more. Meanwhile, we appreciate your feedback, good or bad. Just try not to give any spoilers away in that area. Finally, you may have noticed the new section on the website for the Super Animal Deathmatch competition we had several months ago. We plan on doing this again in the future because, well, it was a lot of fun for listeners and for us. Drabble fans wasted ridiculous amounts of time hashing out arguments about which genetically modified super beast would hypothetically win in a massive gladiatorial battle. For details, check out Drabblecasts around episode 10, 11, and 12. The fantastic artwork posted there is from listener Bo Kyer. I can't tell you how much I freaking love those drawings. We really appreciate you putting them together and sending them in, Bo. There will be a link where you can see more of Bo's art on the site, so you should check that out. Well, that's all for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can share this with your weird friends, but you can't change it or make money from it. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and myself, Norm Sherman, reminding you that it's okay to take risks sometimes. But as a general rule, don't trust the furry pig. Boss man said, Tony, we've been waiting a while. When the hell have you been? The bars are closing and it's last call for drinks And we brought something for you, dear friends Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God, they will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.